0: This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast.
1: We are your study buddies for neonatology topics.
0: I'm Dr. Ben Korsha.
1: And I'm Dr. Daphna Yesova-Barbeau.
0: Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Monday. How are you, Daphna?
1: Uh, I'm good. We've got some new equipment, so I'm ex- <laughs> excited to check that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're all uh, decked out. Uh, we we have new laptops, and uh, hopefully everything works better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. Tell us, what are we doing today?
1: Yeah, so we are getting started with the nutrition questions um, in the Neonatology Review book. Um, so I guess we should just get started. Let's go. Okay, uh, I'll I'll ask you first. Question one: Which of the following vitamins is important for pulmonary epithelial growth and cellular differentiation? Choices. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it's Monday. Okay, now we can um, begin. Now, now I'm ready. Uh, The choices are: A. Biotin. B. Thiamine. C. Vitamin A. D. vitamin C or E, vitamin D?
0: Okay, so uh, which vitamin is important for pulmonary epithelial growth and cellular differentiation? So, I mean, there's a shortcut that you could take, which is if you've taken care of any baby that you need to do BPD prevention, that's you right. always give you give <laughs> vitamin A, right? So, uh, so that's an easy uh, shortcut to remember that vitamin A is involved in pulmonary epithelial growth. So that's what I went to. Uh, I know biotin has to do with some type of dermatitis. I know thiamine is vitamin B one, and it does like the berry berry stuff, um, which I'll tell us more about. Vitamin C, we know about uh, the wound healing, and vitamin D. Obviously, we deal with with the babies who have a metabolic bone disease of prematurity. So I didn't feel too bad about this one. I vitamin A choice C. Yeah, you took a,
1: you took all of my review points. No, we can we can we can't <laughs> do more, but you're right. So vitamin A, um, also known as retinol, because sometimes they'll give you. Uh, that term, is important for pulmonary epithelial growth and cellular differentiation. And it's thought to potentially play a role in the development of chronic lung disease. So some institutions are using vitamin A, some institutions that's falling out of favor. Anyways, that's not the point of the question. <laughs> but we think that vitamin A plays a role in um, pulmonary epithelial growth. Um, but like you said, we'll talk about some of these others. So biotin is... Um, it has an association uh, with biotinidase deficiency, which makes sense. Um, also, propionic acidemia and pyruvate dehydrogenase complex deficiency. So these are things really to just commit to memory. And, and the syndrome of biotin deficiency, like you said, is uh, presents with this dermatitis, alopecia, uh, seborrhea, um, and so really a lot of skin findings with biotin. Um, thiamine, um, is also known as vitamin B1, and you're right, it has, uh, the deficiency presents with beriberi, um, which is basically, um, cardiac failure, fatigue, irritability, and constipation. It's also associated with pyruvate dehydrogenase complex deficiency and maple syrup urine disease. And we'll come back to these when we get to the metabolic... <laughs> section. And
0: don't we look forward to that?
1: That's what we're so looking <laughs> forward to. Um vitamin C, so I think most people remember what vitamin C is. It's, you know, also known as ascorbic acid and it um, the deficiency shows poor wound healing and bleeding gums. It's associated with transient tyrosinemia. This one I have a mnemonic for. So Okay. I'm going to remember, transient tyrosinemia is related to tangerines, which are citrus. So mm. vitamin C, tangerines, transient tyrosinemia. Okay. And then uh, vitamin I thought you D. were
0: going to give us like a pirate type of- No, uh...
1: a <laughs> scurvy. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> vitamin D, that's probably the one people are most comfortable with. Um, uh, deficiency presents with rickets, failure to thrive, and if severe enough can show tetany. Um, the other things I wanted to say about vitamin A itself, um, it's one of the fat soluble vitamins. so the fat soluble fat soluble vitamins are a D e and K. Um,
0: mm-hmm. It
1: is synthesized from precursors in the body so daily intake is not actually requirement required of vitamin A. Um, it is. Uh, transported via simple or facilitated diffusion across the placenta um, because it's fat soluble. And um, deficiencies of vitamin A other than concerns for its role in chronic lung disease can uh, lead to photophobia, conjunctivitis, failure to thrive, um, abnormal bone formation, and abnormal tooth enamel. So I'm remembering that A is pointy, like a tooth. So that's going to help me remember the abnormal tooth enamel. Almost all of the vitamin deficiencies can present with some sort of dermatitis. So I'm really trying to remember what is the different feature about some of them.
0: Okay. I think okay. it's too early It's too early for us to get into that.
1: <laughs> this is one of those uh, review right before the test things,
0: right? Yeah, these are. Yeah. Yeah, I have... I had a, a cheat sheet for every chapter where it's like the things I committed to memory. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I couldn't really remember them very well the day before the test, I was just gonna say like, all right, these are like just just cram them in and, and then right. see what happens. And uh, a lot of it was on this chapter somehow. So, <laughs> all right, you ready for question two? Yeah, let's do it. All right. question two. Um, Daphne, a family of a two-day-old infant born at 27 weeks of gestation is interested in giving donor human milk to their infant. The pediatric resident is uncertain about the components of human milk that are and are not preserved by the pasteurization process. Which of the following components is not preserved in the pasteurization process? All right, so which of these components is not preserved when you pasteurize milk? Choice A, IgM. Choice B, oligosaccharides. Choice C, vitamin A. Choice D, vitamin D. Choice E, vitamin E.
1: This is such an important question, um, but for for the, the the practicality of the test, um, what I remember is that um, pasteurization really affects the um, some of the kind of immune uh, properties of milk. And so there's some details about that that I'm sure you'll go over. But mm-hmm. in terms of these answer choices, then that would uh, make me pick I- immunoglobulin M.
0: I mean, yeah, that's correct. So choice, choice A is the one that is not being preserved, and that's IgM. So um, several important components of human milk are preserved through the pasteurization process. And obviously, pasteurization helps um, is a process in which you heat up a substance in order to destroy pathogenic organisms. Um, And obviously pasteurization is a double-edged sword. You Mm -hmm. want to heat it up so that you you clean the the fluid, but you also don't want to kill everything that it becomes just like uh, water. It loses. Yeah. It doesn't lose all its properties. So some things are going to be retained and those should make sense. So like oligosaccharides are preserved. I think it's important to remember the vitamin A, D, and E, because these are, as you mentioned, part of the fat-soluble um, vitamins. So it's very important. Just remember them as a group because mm-hmm. that, that will be important. Uh, lactose, obviously, is one thing that you would want to preserve when you pasteurize milk. Um, and long-chain uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids and epidermal growth factors.
1: And so that so, makes sense. If you can retain most of your fatty acids, then you'll keep the um, fat-soluble vitamins.
0: Yes, Absolutely. But the, yeah, and I'm going to get to the vitamins in a second, but the Mm. big problem that you have is that there are two kinds of pasteurization. (laughs) Obviously it it would be too easy (laughs) if there was, (laughs) but you have regular pasteurization, which basically um, takes the milk to a temperature of 56 degrees Celsius, about 133 Fahrenheit. And then you have a more intense type of pasteurization, which is called holder pasteurization, in which the milk is taken at 62 degrees Celsius. And as you can imagine, more things are lost as you do holder pasteurization than when you do regular pasteurization. So holder pasteurization impacts the immunological properties of human milk. Uh, Lymphocytes, alkaline phosphatase, cytokines, some growth factors, lipoproteins, and some lipases are destroyed. Lactoferrin and lysozyme concentrations are reduced by at least 50% and 25% respectively. Now, the immunoglobulins are impacted differently. And while most of the IgAs and IgGs are preserved, all of the IgMs are gone. Like, um, And the way I remember this is because if you remember, the IgMs look very spidery. They're very large. Mm. Um, and so when you heat them up, I guess I imagine them just... Being degraded because they cannot—they're less strong. They're so stretched, so thin. I'm uh, gonna—I'm
1: gonna remember that the M's get melted.
0: Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Actually, that's great. Good job. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Now, I want to go back um, on—I want to go back on something because pasteurization affects vitamins, but it affects the water-soluble vitamins. So this is where it gets tricky. That's why I was saying in the beginning, remember that A, D, and E are not affected because they are fat-soluble. But the other vitamins, vitamin B6, vitamin C, are definitely affected both by regular pasteurization and holder pasteurization. Um, The other thing that I want to mention is that the immunoglobulin are mostly preserved, as we've said, and IgA, IgG specifically, but IgA are reduced at least during holder pasteurization. So, which is a huge component of breast milk, obviously, Mm -hmm. and a huge immunological advantage of breast milk is the, is the high concentration of secretory IgAs. So it's important for us to know that they're mostly preserved during regular pasteurization, but holder pasteurization, which is again, 10 degrees centigrade above, then you start losing uh, immunoglobulin A. So yeah, I like the, I I like the melting of the IgM. That's great. Thank (laughs) you for that.
1: Yeah, the only other thing they might be able to ask about this question is about microwaving. And oh, that's the right. reason microwaving is concerning is because it basically destroys all of the immunoglobulin, including IgA. And basically, nothing is stable under microwaving. So, microwave bad, basically.
0: Yeah, microwave is bad. <laughs> microwave, and it's yes. funny because I don't know if you remember, we did you do that in pediatric residency where you told parents, don't microwave your, mm-hmm. your milk? Sure. And I I somehow had remembered that it was mostly because it would create pockets of different temperatures. So like the baby may get like a bit of milk Mm -hmm. that was lukewarm, but then get pockets that were really, really warm. And I was like, we never mentioned the fact that it kills.
1: Kills everything.
0: (laughs) So anyway, that was a good reminder. Anyway. Um,
1: Okay. Question five. A six week old term male infant has Pierre Robin sequence. He has had poor weight gain over the past several weeks and has recently changed from breastfeeding to formula feeding. He develops a severe diaper dermatitis, hypoalbuminemia, and a crusted erythematous rash around the perioral area. Which trace element is most likely to be deficient in this infant? A. Chromium, B. Copper, C. Manganese, D. Selenium, or E. Zinc? (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. So what is this baby deficient in? Um, I guess this is something that's quite typical that you kind of have to remember where a baby is having both diaper dermatitis and crusted erythematous rash around the perioral area. That is a very typical description of acrodermatitis enterohepatica, mm-hmm. which is that acro meaning the ends, so like you, the ends of your intestinal system are your mouth and your anus. So then you would have a rash in both areas, and that's a sign of zinc deficiency. Um, so I know you're going to tell us a little bit more about the different uh, trace elements, but um, yeah, the answer choice is E, zinc.
1: That's right. So just like you said, and um, it's it uh, that. Presentation results from defective zinc uptake in the duodenum and the je- in the jejunum because of an abnormality in the zinc transporter protein. So, acrodermatitis enter- enteropathica is is actually a rare autosomal recessive disorder, and I didn't know that. I thought it was just something that happened. But um, zinc deficiency itself can mirror that autosomal recessive problem. Um, So we can see that in babies who don't have the autosomal recessive uh, problem. Other findings in zinc deficiency are failure to thrive, irritability, and photophobia. Um, The other uh, thing that can be a problem is alkaline phosphatase is a zinc-dependent enzyme. Um, And so having low um, alkaline phosphatase may suggest the possibility of this diagnosis. So something to to look for if you're considering zinc deficiency. And fortunately, response to zinc supplementation is pretty dramatic. And so once you start it, um, you'll have resolution of the dermatitis within a few days. So when I think of, like you said, these kind of um, skin findings in the oral and the um, diaper areas, uh, you should be considering zinc deficiency.
0: So the way I remember this Mm. is the rash around the butt is zinc related because that's what you use for butt rash you use zinc oxide. Mm, zinc oxide. So, yeah. So, that's how I used to remember it. Again, these are these are just No,
1: I'll take it. That's good. <laughs> take it
0: or leave it. It's okay. I'm I'm not attached to it, but yeah, that's how I remembered it.
1: So, we can talk about the other trace elements a little bit too. Chromium yeah. helps regulate glucose levels uh, because it plays a role in insulin metabolism. Um for the test, we actually don't have a great um, syndrome uh, for deficiency of chromium. So it's good to know what it does.
0: But Can I tell it, you how, to, how, how I remember that?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: So chrome, when something is chromed, it's, uh, like, it's like shiny silver, yeah. right? So the way I remember chromium being involved in glucose metabolism is, you know, these Hershey kisses that, that <laughs> yeah, have like absolutely. the aluminum, the silver, aluminum wrapper? Yeah. So, like, I imagine that these Hershey kisses are chromium plate, chrome, uh, chrome plated. Okay. And they help you when you need a little boost of glucose during the day. So, I can totally chromium. Buy that. Yeah, chromium, Hershey's kisses, glucose metabolism. And that's it. There's no syndrome. So, that's, that's all it. you got to remember. <laughs> that's all you got to remember.
1: Okay. Do you have one for copper? Yes, I do. Let's hear it.
0: Copper's uh, Copper is the main element in the penny, uh-huh,
1: which, which look like red. a.
0: Which exactly. There you go. And you know, red blood cells. So
1: critical for production of red blood cells. Also important for the absorption of iron. Um, It's associated with multiple enzyme activities. And so not having um, sufficient copper, obviously anemia is the major thing that you would see. But um, this is a trace uh, mineral deficiency that would present with neutropenia in addition to anemia. So I think that's good to remember. You can see depigmentation of the hair and skin Um, osteoporosis, uh, hypotonia, and even ataxia if the Mm -hmm. copper deficiency is severe and prolonged. Um, Iron, I think that's one most of us can remember that it's required for hemoglobin and myoglobin and obviously deficiency um, uh, presents as anemia and failure to thrive. Manganese um, has a role in enzyme activation, particularly superoxide dismutase and uh, no- Known clinical kind of presentation of the deficiency. That's it. Selenium? Oh, selenium. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, selenium is important um, for, well, where did I write selenium?
0: It's a cofactor for the glutamine peroxidase. That's right. And do you know what, what uh, human syndrome you have in it? With selenium
1: um, deficiency? Heart, heart failure.
0: That's right, cardiomyopathy. Yeah. I have another little mnemonic for this one. Okay. And it's extremely biased. I'm not going to – Here not we go. Sh- no. It's, it's <laughs> but I'm saying um, – thinking of a girl named Selena who broke uh-huh. your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's it.
1: That's so it. S-
0: Selena broke your heart, and that's cardiomyopathy.
1: <laughs> I love it. I I- I'm love saying
0: it. it's biased because it's a female name. And, like, listen, if if I'm not – again, take it or leave it. But yeah. Selena, Selena broke your heart.
1: <laughs> listen. it? There are lots of ways to have your heart
0: broken. So.
1: Okay, let's do one more.
0: Okay, so uh, question eight for you, Daphna. Mm-hmm. In general, the term neonate has adequate carbohydrate absorption. By what approximate gestational age does the fetus concentration of lactase reach the concentration of an adult?
1: So, uh, Hold on. Cool, okay, sorry, you're going to tell us the choices. I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> choice A, 18 weeks, choice B, 24 weeks, choice C, 28 weeks, choice D, 36 weeks, choice E, 40 weeks. We go.
1: So I, I know this fact because when I learned it, it like blew my mind that babies don't have adult levels of lactase concentration until about 36 weeks gestation. So how do we ever expect these little tiny babies to consume milk? It doesn't. Does it make sense that they ever tolerate feeds um, since they don't have good lactase concentration until at least a late preterm?
0: That's correct. It is 36 weeks. And it's funny you say that because that is exactly how I um, I remembered it. When I learned it, I was like, hold on. Like, why are we feeding these kids milk before 36 weeks then? But um, so- just, just because we're running short on time, uh, carbohydrate digestion and absorption in the term neonate um, is adequate because of the colonic salvage pathway, mm-hmm. adequate concentration of both uh, glucosidases and disaccharidases, uh, and normal glucoamylase concentration. And although the intestinal disac- disaccharide Dases, the sucrase, maltase, and isomaltase reach an adult amount at about 28 weeks. Lactase concentration reaches an adult concentration at about 36 weeks, as you mentioned. And so what's interesting is that the babies before 36 weeks are relying heavily on these other enzymes to um, perform the the role of, of digestion. And again, it doesn't mean that before 36 weeks, there's no lactase activity. It just means that adult level are reached at about 36 weeks. So there's technically some ability of, uh, of the babies to manage the digestive process. And again, one of the big, the big uh, mechanisms by which this is happening is the colonic salvage pathway. Okay. I All think right. that's it. Yeah, we had fun today. <laughs> see, you tomorrow. see you tomorrow bye thank you for listening to this episode of the incubator and neonatology review podcast if you like our show please leave us a review on apple podcast or spotify we would love to hear from you so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com you can also message the show on twitter at nicupodcast thanks again for listening and see you next time this podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.